Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time. Your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways, shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. Last time on Ear Witness. I believe I got a phone call from someone in the room saying they heard gunshots. Boom! Small caliber gun. It wasn't a big caliber. Boom! About the second time I sat up and went, that was a gun. When you got a deputy sheriff killed over here, it's high profile. And people are expecting things out here. Tavares Johnson, I remember he was pushing a, a Drakus 4 in the wheelchair. They came together. I had saw Tavares pushing a Drakus in the club. Me and one of my girlfriends, her name is Latanya. Me and her and two, two guys were supposed to hook up that night. One is 21. They call him Dre. He's in a wheelchair. Not only do you want somebody in custody, the captain is telling the lieutenant, we need to get this done. The sheriff is telling the captain, we need to get this done. I didn't get it um, secondhand. I, I was there. You were there? I was there when it when went that? down. So what she's saying, she was there mm-hmm. and I was there? Mm-hmm. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a shame. When police come looking for Ardragas Ford, his mom calls Richard Jaffe, who had helped them in the past. Ardragas was in a wheelchair, as you know, and his mother brought him over to the lion's den, to the sheriff's department. Jaffe's a trial lawyer, and he looks like one, but not in a slick way. He's slender in a rumpled suit with gray hair and glasses. The day Ardragas went to the sheriff's office for questioning, Jaffe is just beginning a trial in a different case. But before he goes to court that day, he gets a phone call from the sheriff's office. I was called by a deputy Blanton, and he said, I heard that you were representing Ardragas Ford. And I went, yes, I was just contacted by the family, but I don't know anything about the case. And he said, well, look, he's just a witness. I mean, he just knows stuff. And I knew Deputy Blanton, and I believed if he had information involving a police shooting, I wanted to help, and Ardragas did too. And against my best judgment, I allowed Ardragas to be interviewed by him and several other Jefferson County detectives. So Ardragas is questioned alone, while his attorney, Jaffe, heads to the courthouse. Perhaps around 4.30 or 5 when we broke, I found out that Ardragas was still there. So he'd been there all day, like maybe nine hours. And I was extremely distraught. 
So I hurried over there. It was just across the street. And when I got into the very large room, it was buzzing with detectives and police officers, and you could feel the tension. It was it was enormous amount of tension. There, in the crowd of police officers and detectives, Jaffe notices Jefferson County's district attorney, a man named David Barber. He's in charge of all state prosecutions in Alabama's largest jurisdiction and is working with police in the Deputy Hardy murder investigation. When Jaffe sees Barber, he walks over to him. And I said, what's going on with our Dracus? And David said, well, we know he was there and he's not telling us the truth. So we're going to charge him. He can either be a witness or a defendant. I, I said, well, what, what are you saying? And he said, uh, just that, witness or defendant. It's his choice. The choice detectives are giving Ardragus, either he gives them information about Hardy's murder or he'll be charged with the crime. If I had any idea that they thought he was there, I nor any lawyer would allow their client, in any case, especially where a death penalty case, to be interviewed by law enforcement. They just wouldn't allow it. Frankly, I felt a, a little inept and a little foolish, as well as a little deceived. And I said, well, what can I do to help? And he said, well, go in there and get him to tell the truth. <laughs> and I, I said, well, then you're going to have to give him immunity. According to Jaffe, David Barber offers Ardragus immunity from prosecution in exchange for naming to Forrest as the shooter. Jaffe says Barber handwrites the immunity agreement on a piece of paper and gives it to him. David's word was good with me, and I walked into a little office where Ardragus was in his wheelchair sitting there. Didn't look happy, certainly wasn't happy with me at all. And, and I, I said, what's going on? And he said, uh, they were screaming at me, and they made me tell the story over and over and over again and even tell it backwards. And I said, well, this is an immunity agreement. Maybe we should talk about it. And he reads it, and he said, so they want me to lie. He said, look, Mr. Jaffe, I wasn't there. And I've got a dozen or more alibi witnesses that will testify to that. I know nothing about it, zero. I said, okay, well, they think that you're not a shooter, but you were there, and they think Forest is the shooter. And he looked at me and he said, listen, I'm not going to lie for anybody. Forest and I are close, but we're not that close. He's not family. I would happy to give Forest up in a heartbeat except it would be a lie, and I'm not going to lie. That never happens, even on a theft case, even on a possession of marijuana case, even on a hubcap case. Everybody flips, sadly enough, mm -hmm. to save themselves. Yeah. He said, no way, not going to lie. I said, all right, well, they're going to take you to jail. They're going to wheel you to jail, and they're going to charge you with capital murder, which is a death penalty offense. And he goes... I wasn't there. Tell them to take me to jail. And they did. The next day, the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office announces formal charges in the murder of Deputy Bill Hardy. Charged with capital murder of a law enforcement officer are 22-year-old Torforest Johnson, 21-year-old Ardragas Ford, 23-year-old Oman Berry and 21-year-old Quintez Wilson. They are held without bond. All four people charged with capital murder are young black men. Based on the changing stories of Yolanda Chambers, detectives believe at least six people were in the parking lot behind the hotel when Hardy was shot. Yolanda and LaTanya, Toforest and Ardragus, and the two other people Yolanda identified in photos, Omar Berry and Quintez Wilson. The headline in the Birmingham News reads, Police confident they got right men in deputy slaying. Sounds like an open and shut investigation. But pull back the curtain, or in this case, open up the investigative file, 
and the inner workings tell a different story. I'm Beth Shelburne. This is Ear Witness. Chapter 4, Witness or Defendant. The tactic the state uses with Ardragas, telling him he can either be a witness or a defendant, Detective Tony Richardson repeats it over and over during Deputy Hardy's murder investigation. You are in a position now to be one of two things, okay? You can either be a witness or you can be a defendant. You know, you can either be a witness or you can be a defendant. You can only be either a witness or you can be a defendant, okay? It's your choice. You make it, you tell me what you want to do. One of the people Tony Richardson uses this tactic on is Yolanda Chambers' friend, LaTanya Henderson, who was in the car with DeForest, Ardragas, and Yolanda the night Deputy Hardy was killed. LaTanya, I am working a homicide, okay? And in working this homicide, people have choices. It's a choice whether you want to be a witness or you want to be a defendant. LaTanya is 16 years old. She's in high school and lives with her mother and brother. And as she's questioned about the night of the murder, she's alone in the room with detectives. No lawyer, no parent present. I'm not saying anything uh, uh, to uh, entice you to say something. You tell me what's the truth and and you tell me that's the truth and I'm going to take it like that. But I do want you to know that some people are going to be witnesses, some are going to be defendants. Defendants going to jail, okay? After giving LaTanya this choice, Detective Richardson asks her where she was that night. Were you at, near, or around that hotel when this officer was shot? No, sir. Okay, and you've never been there before? No, I haven't. Never. And you have no independent knowledge of what happened to this officer? No, I haven't. Despite being told she's a suspect in a murder, LaTanya does not change her story. But she also doesn't seem to understand the rules of the game detectives are playing. She asks Detective Richardson to explain. That's your question. Defendant is... uh, Defendant is someone that's charged with the crime. uh, Well, no, no, I don't want me to defend it, no. All right. LaTanya has to ask what it means to be a defendant, then says she doesn't want to be charged with the crime. At one point, Richardson stops the tape, like he's done in Yolanda's interviews, and restarts it after a five-minute break. Do you know what the crime standing is? No, I don't. Would you know it if you saw it? No, I have never seen it. I have never been there. Were you in any hotel parking lot that night where shots were fired? No. Okay. This Sergeant Tony Richardson, Jefferson County Sheriff's Office, the time is 3.50 p.m. This is going to conclude this interview. In a lot of the interviews that you did in this case, um, you and Sergeant Salter presented a choice. You can be a witness or you can be a defendant. Mm -hmm. Tell me about presenting that to somebody that you're interviewing. That seems like a lot of pressure to put on someone. Well, at certain times, you have to put pressure on somebody. That's just a, that's just a strategy. That's, that's just an investigative tool. That's, that, that, that's nothing. So I look at you and I say, look, you can either be a witness or you can be a defendant. It's up to you. And that's the truth. What if the person is neither a witness nor a defendant in the case, though? Well... Sometimes you say that trying to determine if they are a witness or a defendant, you know, particularly if you don't know. And if they continue to maintain, I know nothing, at some point I'm going to say, okay, I got you. But for LaTanya, there was never an, okay, I got you, from investigators. Even though she explains she doesn't know anything about the crime, detectives follow through with their threat and make her a defendant. 
one month after Tony Richardson questions LaTanya, the state charges her with hindering prosecution. In Alabama, that's a felony. At 16 years old, police take LaTanya Henderson to adult jail, where she stays for five months. You know, LaTanya Henderson, I mean, even if she had been there, you know, even if Yolanda's story was true, what's she a defendant on? You know, what has she done? This is Derek Drennan, a lawyer who worked with Richard Jaffe in representing Ardragus Ford. And I don't know, I, I think they charged her with hindering prosecution, maybe, they because, sure did. Um, because basically she wasn't telling the lies that Yolanda was telling. A few years later, LaTanya says that she was hysterical when they took her to jail, desperate to get detectives to believe her. She says that she suffered from stress and lost too much weight. I really wanted to talk to LaTanya to hear how this experience shaped her. And we tried for months to track her down, knocking on doors, calling possible numbers, combing social media, but we never could connect. I was able to talk to her uncle, Herman Henderson, a pastor in Birmingham. He told me LaTanya and Yolanda had been friends since they were babies, but this case ended their friendship, and LaTanya was scarred by the entire experience. Her trust in other people eroded. Yolanda Chambers and LaTanya Henderson made different choices when faced with threats from police. There's a damned-if-you-do, damned-if-you-don't dynamic and how they were each impacted. Yolanda became a witness for detectives, avoiding jail time during Hardy's murder investigation, but entered a pattern of exploitation that may have led to her murder. LaTanya became a defendant for telling the truth. She didn't have any information to give, and detectives sent her to jail. Both Yolanda and LaTanya ended up traumatized and hurt. And as I think through how detectives treated these witnesses and the suspects of Hardy's murder, I keep coming back to this one thing that Tony Richardson said. The best thing that a person probably can do for themselves that's suspected of a crime is do not talk to the police, period. Now, that's really interesting coming from a retired detective. But that's the truth. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents 
a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Detectives are moving ahead with the theory of the crime that Yolanda Chambers gives them in her interrogations. Even though the theory isn't supported by what hotel witnesses saw and heard the night of the murder. So what were detectives missing? What evidence was available? And was there anything else they should have looked at but didn't because they decided to stick with Yolanda as their key witness? Let's back up to the moment Hardy was shot. We know officers began their investigation by talking to hotel guests, actual confirmed witnesses who were staying at the Crown Sterling Suites. Several people heard the shots and looked out their window right after it happened, like Marshall Kelly Cummings, the Keebler cookie guy. Following is an interview with Mr. Marshall Kelly Cummings. Mr. Cummings is employed by Keebler. This interview was recorded about two and a half hours after Hardy was shot. Cummings says he saw someone get into a car and drive away from the hotel right after he heard the shots fired. Immediately, as soon as the second shot rung out, I pulled the curtain back and looked out, and that's when I saw the car down below me. I saw the uh, um, a person. Cummings says he saw the person close the driver's side door. When I looked at Closing which door? The driver's side. He saw a copper-colored or light brown car with a vinyl top slowly back out of the parking spot and drive away with the headlights off. But you think it was a dark copper or light brown? Yes, sir. And there was another witness in a different hotel room who also looked out his window after he heard the shots. I we heard a shot. So I jumped up. I just heard the door and stuck my head out. The night of the murder, Leon Colvin was staying in room 611 with his wife, Annie. The two of them were in bed. He was watching TV, and she was reading the newspaper. They heard the first shot, and Leon told Annie he thought it was a car backfiring. All right, you heard a shot, bang. Tell me how long after. Uh, it's a bang, bang. Okay, so just a second or so. Yeah. After the second shot, Colvin went to the window to see what was going on. Seen the car down by the back of the motel. He walked up the side, came around the front of the car, got in the car. Colvin's description of the car and what the car did as it left the parking lot matches the details given by Marshall Cummings. What color is that car? I told him it was, it was a dark color, gold or brown with a kind of maroon-looking top with a sunroof in. Both Cummings and Colvin say the car was a four-door brown, gold, or copper sedan with a maroon top. That's so specific. They both say it was the only car leaving the parking lot right after shots were fired. What these witnesses saw doesn't match the theory of the murder detectives go with. What kind of car was y'all in? Monte Carlo? Ardragus describes his car to detectives the day he's arrested. He was driving a two-door, black, 1971 Monte Carlo. What color? Black. And he had installed Flowmaster mufflers 
so it made a loud rumbling sound. I got like floor masters on my car. Uh, you got these floor masters, loud mufflers yeah, on the car. Loud, okay. People could hear Ardragus's car coming from blocks away. Forest tells detectives that when they picked up LaTanya, they actually waited for her in an alley because they didn't want to wake up the entire house. But Colvin and Cummings say that the light brown or copper-colored car quietly drove out of the parking lot. And there's an even bigger discrepancy. The driver's side door on Ardragus's very loud black Monte Carlo was broken. It did not open. Ardragus and Toforest tell this to detectives. Investigators impounded Ardragus's car and confirmed the driver's side door didn't open. Detective Tony Richardson would later testify to this. But... Both Colvin and Cummings say that someone got in the driver's side of the car and quietly drove away. When I seen him, he walked from the passenger side round to the round the front of the car to the driver's side. He got in. There were other guests at the hotel who spotted cars leaving the area around this time, but their descriptions were all different. The only consistent descriptions of the getaway car came from Cummings and Colvin, two people who went to their hotel room windows after hearing shots and looked down into the parking lot. The investigative file shows that police tried to find the car seen by Colvin and Cummings, but Tony Richardson would eventually tell a grand jury the search was a wild goose chase and that the car didn't exist. And there's something even more significant about this other hotel witness, Leon Colvin. He gives police a basic description of the man he saw, five foot ten, medium build, who got into the car and drove away. Yeah, a black and white striped shirt, and it looked like he had kind of big khakis or something. Colvin describes the man as wearing a black and white shirt and khaki or cream pants. This is the only physical description given of a potential suspect. But detectives decide that Colvin isn't a witness. He's a defendant. As I dig deeper, I learned that Detective Tony Richardson and Leon Colvin are cousins. And in the first week of the investigation, Richardson decides that Colvin is hiding something. Uh, we have talked with several people. The people we have talked to have, uh, have indicated that you do know more. Uh, these people Colvin gives detectives multiple statements about what he heard and saw. And Tony Richardson interrogates him for hours about his movements inside the hotel the night of the murder, insisting that Colvin was involved. All right. If you tell us one thing, and it's not accurate, and we know that you know different, then you can be charged with the crime, okay? Just so you know. Tony Richardson shows Yolanda Chambers four photos of possible suspects. Yolanda picks out the photo of Leon Colvin and says he was involved in the alleged drug deal behind the hotel when Hardy was killed. The people that are picking you out of that lineup said you were standing right there when the man was shot. Leon Colvin is charged with hindering prosecution and taken to jail. Well, my mama's I ain't did this him. I ain't did none of this him. I ain't did this him. Police press ahead with Ardragus and Forest as two of their main suspects, even though there is no record of any hotel witness describing a loud, two-door black Monte Carlo leaving the scene or a man in a wheelchair.
There's another clue in the file that jumps out at me. A police report from a day after the murder states that a hotel worker named Jerry McDaniel told detectives that he saw Deputy Hardy arguing with a group of young black men who had been running around inside the hotel, especially the sixth floor. There's even a description of one of these young men, six feet tall, slim, wearing a dark, baggy basketball jersey with the number 33 on it. When I first read this, I was like, whoa, what? This information seems super relevant. Hardy was arguing with a group of people just hours before he was murdered? Jerry McDaniel would later testify in court that he saw Hardy having this loud argument with the group of young men around 10 p.m. and that he saw Hardy again before he left for the night around 11.30. McDaniel said Hardy was standing at the back door of the hotel, propping it open with his foot. He also spotted the same group of young men outside in the back parking lot as he left work to go home. He said that after the confrontation, Hardy seemed mad, saying, I ain't never seen him like that before. But detectives never identified the young men and later say their interview with Jerry McDaniel never led to any more evidence. I want to pursue this. If Jerry McDaniel is still around, maybe he can give us some new information about those last hours of Hardy's life. Something about the young men he saw arguing with Hardy. Some new nugget to breathe life into this case. How are you? I'm looking for Mr. Jerry McDaniel. Is that you? Thank you so much. Jerry McDaniel is retired, in his 70s, and lives in a small green shake shingle bungalow, the same house he's lived in his entire adult life. We talk on his porch, and he remembers Hardy's murder. Yeah, because I'm moving around, so I see everything. I become to the atrium and stuff, you know. It's been a lot of stuff going on that hotel, though. McDaniel also remembers seeing Hardy argue with a group of young men inside the hotel. I mean, did it seem like Deputy Hardy knew those people? I don't know. He, he might have known them because he, something he, he wanted something they had or something. Uh, they didn't give him something. I don't know what it was. And about an hour and a half later, when he ended his shift and left the building, he passed by Hardy who was standing at the hotel's back door. Do you, do you remember, like, exactly what you saw? Yeah, he was standing at the back door back there, to the, to the right, and, and it was a car out there when I left, you know, right there, right there at the back, by, the, by where the donkey bed. But that's pretty much all he remembers. Had police aggressively pursued this lead, they might have gotten somewhere. But now... Decades later, McDaniel can no longer recall any other specific details about the car or anything else from that night. Whatever he saw, whoever those young men were, that potential big lead has faded, likely impossible to recover. After reading through hundreds of pages of reports, there's a question that still sticks with me. Why did Deputy Hardy leave the hotel atrium where he was drinking coffee and smoking a cigarette to go out the back door to the parking lot without his radio? Um, And then usually every hour on the hour or so or every hour and a half, he would do a drive around the premises uh, to check out the perimeter of the hotel. According to Barry Rushikoff, the hotel desk clerk, Hardy's routine was to walk around inside the hotel when he was making his rounds. But when he checked around the outside of the hotel, he usually drove around the property in his car. 
Right after the crime, the sheriff tells reporters that Deputy Hardy may have been investigating something suspicious, maybe a drug deal. But if Hardy went outside to check something behind the hotel, why would he leave his two-way radio on the table inside? Barry talked to detectives just five hours after the murder. He told them about how weird this detail seemed to him. Tell me what you thought was unusual about the, him not having the walkie-talkie. Officer Hardy, if he got up, he always put the radio in his back pocket. And if he was smoking, he never would leave a, a cigarette, really. He would always walk around with it. For him to have left both the radio and the cigarette just was extremely unlike him. Completely unlike him. But he never Hardy had over two decades of experience as a law enforcement officer. Leaving his radio behind seems out of character. And he also left his cigarette burning. Is it possible that he was expecting to go outside quickly? Maybe to meet someone? And that's why he left them behind? Is it possible that Hardy knew his killer? I tried to look into this. There is a file containing records of the calls that police received from the special tip line set up for the case. And I found eight different tips urging detectives to look into Hardy's personal life. These tips suggest that someone Hardy knew might be connected to his murder. I asked Detective Tony Richardson about this. Is there anything that you recall y'all investigating as far as that goes? I, I don't recall that uh, or recall us investigating anything. I'll say right now that I wouldn't have. I mean, I'm investigating a police officer that's dead. He's been shot and killed. It don't matter what, you know, he did. If somebody walked up to him and shot him like that. My producer, Mara, presses him. Like, the first thing to me, if I hear that somebody is killed, I would look at their life for a motive instead of assuming that it was random. Is that not where you would start? You know, I can explain it like this. When Hardy was shot, he was in uniform, working a part-time security job, still a sheriff's deputy now, doing his job, and he was shot and killed. Okay. If he had been at home, in his pajamas, shot and killed, in bed, we would have looked at him, because that's what you do. Because Deputy Hardy was a police officer and was killed in uniform, not in his own bed wearing pajamas, Detective Richardson says he wouldn't have looked into people that knew Hardy. Instead, Richardson repeats the theory that Hardy walked up on a drug deal that he wasn't supposed to see, and that's why he was killed. An insider that I talked to, a retired bailiff who worked in Jefferson County when Deputy Hardy was murdered, told me that this theory about a police officer interrupting a drug deal it's like a default explanation when detectives don't have any idea what happened. The sheriff first mentioned this scenario hours after the murder, and the media ran with it. The only eventual evidence to support this theory? The always changing statements from Yolanda Chambers. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. 
Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. Detectives not only missed potential promising leads, they also ignored facts that could have ruled out to Forrest Johnson and Ardragas Ford as suspects. Some of the people who were with to Forrest and Ardragas at T's place remember learning about their arrests from the media coverage the week after the murder. When I read it in the paper, I saw to Forrest's name and I was like, well, how did he do it? We was at T's that, you know, that night. Kenyara Pickett was at Tease at the same time Deputy Hardy was killed. She was out celebrating with her sister Deidre, who had just recovered from surgery. And to Forrest gave her name to police. He told them to find a girl named Ken that he was hanging out with at Tease. But they never called or knocked on her door. I never uh, went to the police or anything because I was underage at the time. Yeah, I mean, that. how old were you? I think I was 20. It was 95, 20. 20 yeah. I turned 20 in April, yeah. So did they not check IDs at the club or did y'all have fake IDs? They had a fake ID. So that made you not want to go to police because you didn't want to, go you to weren't jail. supposed to be there. Yeah, yeah, I didn't want to go to jail. Kenyara was scared that she would end up in jail if she went to police. I saw on the news that Tafar Johnson had been picked up for that murder of Officer Hardy. I said, wait a minute, there's no way. I saw, I saw Tafar pushing a dragon. Stanley Chandler is another person who saw Taforest and Ardragas at T's place at the time Deputy Hardy was murdered. Stanley is a U.S. Marine, and he was also hesitant to get involved. You know, you're 25, I just cannot walk in no down to county jail and say, hey, I saw that guy at the club that night at that time, you know, so but no one never contacted me. And I, so I felt like if Tafari needed me, that someone would reach out. I had no knowledge of what to do. Ardragas and Taforest told police about multiple people they were with at Tees. The bartender who remade a weak drink. The guy who sold Taforest a hot dog outside the club. And the girls they chatted with in the parking lot. DeForest also gave Tony Richardson the names and phone numbers of friends he remembered seeing inside the club. One female name is Queasy. Queasy. Including Queasy and Mama Cat. Okay. One female name is Mama Cat. Her number is 785. Okay. Uh, DeForest couldn't give us any names other than nicknames or maybe a first name. There was no way that we could find a witness. But we sat and we waited, hoping that, it, it, you know, who don't know that Tafaris is in jail for this crime? Maybe they'll come forward. Not a single one. Nobody. 
came forward to say, hey, you got the wrong guy. He was, he was at the club. Not a single person came forward to say to Forrest was at T's place the night of the murder? After Tony Richardson tells me this, I look through the investigative file to double-check. This is Sergeant Tony Richardson, Jefferson County Sheriff's Office. I am on the phone with Barbetta, and that's spelled B-A-R-B-E-T-T-A, Hunt, also known as Mama Cat. Do you remember uh, where Tafaris Johnson was on the night of July the 18th or the morning of July the 19th? Yes, I do. Okay, can you tell me where? Right there in the folder of recorded police interviews, I find that Detective Richardson did talk with an alibi witness. He called Mama Cat about a month after the murder. Well, um, I saw him at T's place. You saw him at T's place? Yes, I was with my friend, Valonique Sanders. Valonique Sanders? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. I am on the phone with Valonique Sanders. Valonique is also known as Queasy, and her home phone number is 788... On the same day, Detective Richardson talked to Valonique, also known as Queasy. She told him she saw to Forrest and Ardragas inside T's between 11 p.m. and 1.30 a.m. Okay. All right. Is there any particular reason that you remember uh, the time that they got there and the time that they left? Yes. Um, the time that they got there, my friend, Barbella Hunt, um, her beeper had went off, and I remember her telling me what time it was. Okay. What about uh, the time they left? The time they left, my beeper went off. Okay. My sister was paging me to tell me to come home. Uh-huh. That's why I remember the time. Okay. All right, now. I interviewed Tony Richardson 27 years after this investigation. I guess it's possible that he just doesn't remember speaking with Mama Cat and Queasy. So after I found these phone calls, I went back to ask him about it. There were alibi witnesses on the record that told y'all I saw them at T's place. Now, whatever went into not believing them is not in any files that we've been able to access. But well, since I don't know who this witness was, I can't remember them. I can't remember what they said. Uh, I can't really tell you if I believe them or not. Probably not. Probably not. But cops have a lot of discretion as far as that goes, right? In as belie- far as? Believing alibi witnesses or not believing alibi witnesses. Well, you I mean, have, you, I mean, you can believe or disbelieve anybody. But if someone tells you something that either you need to check out, you know, or check further, or tells you something that could possibly have happened, you have an obligation to either prove or disprove that. You, you have that obligation. But speaking with Mama Cat and Queasy, hearing them corroborate to Forrest and Ardragas's alibi, it wasn't enough for detectives to question their own theory of the crime. The pressure to put someone on trial for killing Deputy Hardy isn't letting up. But 15 months after the crime, the judge dismisses capital murder charges against two of their main suspects, Omar Berry and Quintez Wilson. Yolanda Chambers changes her story to say they weren't involved in the murder. They also have alibis and police believe them. So detectives let them go. To Forrest and Ardragas are now the only two suspects charged with Deputy Hardy's murder. But right as detectives zero in on Ardragas and to Forrest, they run into a big problem. Two weeks after she says Omar Berry and Quintez Wilson have nothing to do with the crime, Yolanda Chambers pivots and says under oath that she's made up the entire story about the murder. She recants all of her testimony, now saying to Forrest and Ardragas also had nothing to do with the murder. 
Evidence-wise, we didn't have virtually, well, we had virtually no evidence. We had the word of a 15-year-old uh, who told lies, a, a, a lot of lies. I've lied, I've lied, I've lied. We had this table empty, with nothing on it, and we were still trying to try that case. And we were like, man, what are we going to do? How are we going to win this? But investigators have someone else, someone they hadn't initially believed, someone who will become the state's new star witness against DeForest Johnson. Violet Ellison walk in that door and stand up on this table and say what she said. We got a full table now. We got all the evidence we need. That's next time. Ear Witness is a production of Lava for Good Podcasts in association with Signal Company Number 1. Executive producers are Jason Flom, Jeff Kempler, Kevin Wardis, and me, Beth Shelburne. The investigative reporting for this series was done by me and Mara McNamara. Producers are Mara McNamara, Hannah Beal, and Jackie Pauley. Kara Kornhaber is our senior producer. Britt Spangler is our sound designer. Additional story editing from Marie Sutton. Fact check help from Catherine Newhan. And special thanks to DeForest Johnson's legal defense team. You can follow the show on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter at Lava for Good. To see behind-the-scenes content from our investigation, visit lavaforgood.com slash earwitness. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to reu hotels and resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com.